0: BLOB TALK RADIO Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world. You're listening to Marnie's Friends. Hi, this is Marnie Sleberg. I'm hoping that you can hear me. We're having a little spinning happening on our dashboard here right now, but hopefully we're live, and I'm going to go ahead and assume we are. So Today's program is called Strategies for Coordinating Big Bible Studies, and our guest today is Gretchen Fleming. Gretchen is a Bible teacher, a speaker, and writer with passion for God and His Word, and she loves to provide women perspectives and Perseverance for Life through Bible Studies. And you can learn more about her over at com. And I'm just going to try to um, refresh this and see if we can see. Um, I'm seeing sound here, but I'm not sure if you're hearing sound there. And maybe somebody can give me some feedback and let me know. And <laughs> spinning endlessly. Okay, so uh, today, during this program, we're going to go over the four critical questions to identify your role in organizing Bible studies, Uh, new ideas for large Bible studies, how to develop Bible study outreach, seven strategies to help organize community Bible studies, six best ways to partner with and lead others for interdenominational Bible studies, the hardest and scariest part of organizing a large Bible study, a five-step formula to prepare for child care, and three ways to increase community involvement plus secrets to help you survive offering big Bible studies and what Gretchen wishes she knew before she'd gotten started. And we are ready to go. Gretchen, are you here with me? I sure am. Okay, great. Well, we had a little glitch at the beginning here, but hopefully we're going good now. <laughs> so um, we are going to talk today about hosting big and coordinating big Bible studies. And there's a there's such a difference between... Um, you know, I'm having, you know, seven gals over to my house versus, you know, we're going to coordinate now for two, three hundred women or even more than that. Uh, a lot of the churches, a lot of the gals that are involved in Bible study Explore, you know, coordinating for a thousand women or more. And today we want to focus on that, on, on those bigger those bigger groups and how to, how to really do it wisely And God works in no matter how many people you have, and so we're not criticizing the small ones at all. It's just a bit different game when you get to the big ones. And you actually have four critical questions for us that help us identify our role in organizing the Bible study. So can you go ahead and just launch us right into that?
1: I sure can. I think one of the first questions to ask yourself is, am I being changed by the word myself? Uh, I think before you commit to offering Bible studies and especially um, just the stress and strain of offering large um, organized Bible studies that you sort of need to have your passion for the word uh, and what it's doing in your life to drive you and to encourage you. So I think, you know, asking yourself, am I being changed by the word is the first one. Another question I would ask is do I have a burden for others to experience this for themselves? I found that when I was excited about the word and what God was doing in my life through the word, that it was a natural transition to uh, those around me in my family, my uh, social circle, and my community to want to see God do that for them as well. So having that burden for others to experience the life-changing aspect of the word is important. Thirdly, I would mm-hmm. say, is there a need for it in my community? Um, at the time that I was doing this, there were lots of individual Bible studies going on in our community. There was uh, one larger Bible study called uh, Bible study fellowship. And and then that was it. And so I really saw for what uh, God was laying upon my heart that there was a need for it in my community. And um, fourthly, is God calling me to do something about it? I think that for you to be excited about the word, for you to have the burden for others, for you to be aware of the need for it in your community, then God will then allow you to feel the burden to do something about it, that you'll feel called to that. And, uh, and so that really set my course on transitioning from just offering one Bible study at a time to expanding it into offering multiple Bible studies.
0: Mm, that's so awesome. And I love that progression. I think the, the worst thing to do is to think, I see a need Therefore, I'm going to start a large Bible study, but I never do it myself, or I never really feel very satisfied or fulfilled in doing it myself. You know, and it's just a bad fit. So just to start with the first thing, which is I love it. I gain so much from it. I really want others to experience this as well. It's such a great launch pad for that. You actually are going to share right now some new ideas for large Bible studies, and I want to remind everybody we do the Bible Study Expo every year and that's over at BibleStudyExpo.com. And over there you can meet uh, over 100 uh, Christian women's Bible study authors and hear a 15-minute interview with them about the books that they've written for women, why they wrote it, who their target audience is, and all of that. And then, Gretchen, from there, what are some other fresh ideas for a large Bible studies?
1: Well, that really sets the tone for what I saw could be so valuable in our community I had started out with offering just one study at a time. And then as I would have a class finish that they would want to move on to a different study, but then new people that came in, they wanted to have the chance to take the old study that I had offered. So I began Mm -hmm. to see that the more and more women God brought to my Bible studies, I had a greater responsibility to offer more than just the one I was doing because As great as the older studies are, there's new ones, just like you're mentioning, that are coming out every year. So that tension brought about the idea of instead of just offering a large group Bible study, sort of like Bible Study Fellowship or the Community Bible Studies, what if we offered a Bible study program to where multiple different studies were offered so you could have some of the, you know, older studies like Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God or uh, some of the older Beth Moores or Anne Graham Lott's Bible studies. But also you could incorporate newer Bible studies like Priscilla Shire or, um, you know, some of the newer people. So what I began to do is the first idea was to offer multiple studies at the same time. So it began one summer, and I probably offered about eight different studies. So the second thing, uh, new idea, is as we offered multiple studies at the same time for women, we provided fellowship across denominations. I had a real passion to reach outside of my church and into my community. As I had um, become a young mother and I was a stay-at-home mom and I began to meet other people at gymnastics and the community pool and in the kids' schools. I began to see so many rich, um, godly women that were in other churches that I was coming across that I longed to just fellowship with them and to know what they knew. So uh, by offering these larger Bible studies, it provides opportunity for fellowship across denominational lines. Thirdly, Um, I was excited about offering large group worship and a devotional time. So the way we organized ours is everyone came in to the sanctuary and we had a worship team. And that was uh, from women in my own church, plus from other churches. And so we worshiped together as one large group. Then I would give a devotional and then we would break up and then everyone would go to their classes that they had signed up for. The next thing was, uh, I really thought it was important to rotate older studies with the newer ones to always keep a fresh mix and, it, and for it to also be balanced. I wanted to offer Bible studies for new believers or even non believers, and then also offer Bible studies for the more mature believers. And so that was the beauty of offering multiple studies by multiple authors at the same time. I didn't feel like I was neglecting anyone mm. along their path of their Christian maturity. So whether you are a new Christian or a more mature one, there was always something to offer them. So oh, I loved wow. offering really it too. practically for their lives. Like we offered parenting Bible studies or ones on health, financial ones, marriage. We did books of the Bible, Christian discipleship, just all kinds Of Bible studies. And I just, I love how there's so many new ones coming out every year. And there's just a plethora to choose from.
0: Yeah, there really is. This is such great information. I did have a question about, you know, you said that, you know, you liked it it, because it crossed the denominations, but yet you hosted it in your own church. How does that go?
1: Well, I think it's important that you have the support of the leadership from your church Um, I had a close relationship with our pastor's wife. We were on the women's uh, ministry team together. And so she was a supporter of mine as I was offering just one little Bible study at a time. And uh, because of our close relationship and just in ministering to all the women of our church, she knew the need to start expanding that as more women came, more studies needed to be offered because New women wanted the older studies, but the women that had been there the longest wanted newer studies. So I really had her support, and that was critical. And just being able to have the resources that your own church provides, the leadership, the the accountability, I mean, the authority, all of that is a comfort when you're serving in ministry to be under the headship of the leadership of your own church.
0: Well, how do you develop uh, Bible study outreach then like to reach outside of the church walls, though, just the women that are coming on Sunday? How do you, how do you get, get that part?
1: I think it starts out just over time that you gradually need to build a community by finding common interest uh, of loving Jesus and his word with other believers around you. Um, I remember, you know, going to the community pool and I saw a girl with a Bible study open workbook on her um, chair Mm, and she was doing it as her kids swam and I was just drawn to her I you know I walked up to her because I don't remember if I had already done that study or I was doing it at the time but that immediately caught my attention so I struck up a conversation with her and so whether it's at the pool or at soccer practice or you know with your kids uh Um, gymnastics or even through social media you have to start building that community outside your own church and also to endeavor to engage with them be interested in them and what their church is doing and and how their uh, walk with the Lord is going and what they're learning as you naturally engage across the denominations you're going to develop rich mature friendships in the Lord and it's such a blessing so then as you are transitioning into starting to offer Bible studies that reach out into your community, those are resources that you can easily tap into because you've already established that community.
0: Hmm. So great. So we're going to move along now to seven strategies to help organize community Bible studies.
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think the first strategy is to partner with your own church leadership to impact your community. You really need your pastor's support. You need to be able to tap into the facilities that your church offers. And just the the core leadership of your team for big Bible studies needs to come from your own church, I think. Um, I mean, it's great to incorporate other people into the leadership team, but I was careful to make sure that uh, the majority were from my church to where I knew them long term. I knew what to expect. I knew they were under the leadership of my pastor. And so that really helped. And as you do that, that is your word of mouth advertising as you partner beginning with your own church, because all of those people are going to know what you're trying to do and they will come alongside you and support you in that. Secondly, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. as we've already mentioned, building community with other women from area churches over what is in common. There are always going to be some uh, varying degrees of doctrinal differences between churches. But I really tried to focus on those who just, you know, uh, exalted Christ and had a passion for his word. And, um, and so then inviting them to join in the, uh, first the single smaller studies then helps you gradually grow into offering the multiple ones. Um, Thirdly, I would determine Bible study needs and those God brings into your community. One of the advantages of having people come into your Bible studies is becoming aware of what's going on in their life. There's such community within a Bible study. Women open up and share. They're vulnerable. You're supporting one another. You're loving one another. You're you're trying to encourage one another with the word. And so you become keenly aware of the needs in the lives of those around you. And then that naturally flows into you looking for Bible studies to meet those needs. So as you determine the Bible study needs, then that helps you as you're looking on lifeway.com or going on to expos. You know, you're able to see what new studies meet the needs of the women you're in fellowship with. Uh, number five, mm-hmm. I think depending on the facilities and resources you have with your church, determine how many studies to author. I mean, to offer. How many rooms do you have to... Um, be able to hold the different bible studies do you have a fellowship room where you can all gather and worship and have a devotional and that sort of thing number six i think enlist doctrinally sound mature leadership to lead the classes and you can use your core group from your church but also bring in some other uh, christian leadership from other churches that you have befriended over the years and that you're able to tap into their spiritual gifts. Um, I remember pulling in people with the gifts of administration, serving, worship, teaching, speaking, mercy, hospitality, prayer, just all kinds of spiritual gifts. And it was amazing to see the body of Christ come together And people using their spiritual gifts in excellence. And we all worked as a wonderful team. And it was just beautiful to see. And then lastly, gather the resources to meet the child care needs. Because once you establish everything else, then the next thing you need to deal with is child care.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that a little more in a bit here, Uh, (laughs) because that's a huge one. But let's go back a little bit. I wanted to talk about, um, first of all, I was thinking about the number two. So number one was partner with your own church leadership. And then number two was build community with women from other churches over what you have in common. And I remember... We did a, a book, um, I think I led like four groups through a uh, Way of Agape by Nancy Missler, just an amazing book about love, and it's, it's so deep and profound. And I took four groups to that, and then some of the other gals from the other churches around town, you know, heard about it, and they started it. And I remember one time, um, one of the churches, and it was a different denomination than mine, asked me to come over because they had hit a point in the book where they were really confused, and they, they just didn't know how to comprehends that particular chapter. I don't remember if it was chapter 9 or whatever. And I got over there, and I was talking through it, and it was making perfect sense to me. And they were all just sitting there looking at me, just like just like, couldn't understand it at all. And then finally, um, the leader of the group just said, oh, I get it. This is, a doctrinal, this is a doctrinal difference between your denomination and our denomination, which is why it's not making any sense to us. And we were all just able to go, oh, okay, and then move on. And it was so beautiful. And I really think that sometimes we make these denominational differences more of a roadblock than they need to be. Have you ever seen something like that or anything that you can add there to that?
1: Yes. And I think that's why it's important that you're under your own uh, pastor's leadership and authority because he is a great resource to go back to Um, as I I would totally admit I was very naive when I started this. I mean, me beginning this um, large group Bible study program was sort of, it it began slowly and almost by accident. You know, I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into. And then (laughs) as I became more and more involved with women across denominations, I was caught a little unaware of the denominational differences. And so uh, what I learned was, you know, maintain the most important thing, the the inerrancy of the word of God, you know, how it's perfect and true, uh, who Jesus Christ is. He is the only way of salvation. And, and so I made sure that I was firm in what mattered most. And then uh, allowing my pastor to help me process what didn't matter so much and let go was a huge asset. And I just wanted to love women across the lines, and for us to come together on what was important, but not let the little things be um, sticking points for us because it really, some of the issues that came up really didn't matter, but I needed to have the wisdom and discernment to know what to dig my heels in on and what to let go.
0: Right. And actually we want to spend a little more time right now talking about this Um, you know, the six ways to partner with and lead others for interdenominational Bible studies. I did a program several years ago that I called the Hotel Management Approach to Interdenominational Events. And what I basically did is I said, you know, your interdenominational event or Bible study is like a hotel. And if people come to this hotel, they have a couple expectations. They have an expectation probably at at a Bible study that we're going to be talking about the Bible and that we're going to be assuming that it's true and you know so there's some basic things you know when someone comes to a hotel they expect that there's going to be somehow beds in rooms and bathrooms with them and you know those basic uh, expectations but then from there on you really as the host as the you know hotel manager if you would You really have the opportunity to have a greeter at the door and to treat them beautifully at the counter and to carry their luggage and to, you know, whatever baggage they brought with them to just deal with that politely and not make a big scene about it. And, I mean, it's just a really fun way to think about these interdenominational events because the reality is that we all do bring our own, you know, set of baggage with us, if you will but it doesn't have to ruin the experience. It can really bring so much joy to the experience as we discover these things together. Gretchen, you've actually come up with six best ways to partner for interdenominational Bible study. So do you want to take us through those right now? Sure.
1: Number one, use the or leaders you already know to ensure doctrinal accountability. I think that you have to be careful not to use uh, other people to partner with you in this ministry that you're not aware of their history or their beliefs. And so that's why along the years as you're engaging and building that community, as you begin to, you know, increase the size of what you're offering, you already know some great leadership from other churches that you can pull from and invite in to participate with what you're trying to do. And and so that just gives you some, I think, some security to where there's nothing that's going to blow up, you know, halfway through a semester because it'll be a huge doctrinal issue and you were caught unaware. Secondly, use women who are mature in their faith and character. It's important not just to be assured of their doctrinal soundness, but also their character and their views on faith. And so if someone is uh, more new in the faith and they may be, um you know, not as uh, calm and patient or know how to deal with the differences of opinion that may come up in a class. That's where you can get into some trouble. So I was careful to try to use other women who are mature in their faith and character. Number three, use women who have a passion for God's word and are being changed by it themselves. I think it works best that when you are tapping in to other people that have a passion for God's word, that passion and what God is doing in their life through the sanctification process and the refining of the word on their heart and faith, that is a natural draw to other people. Uh, number four, prepare for and hold leadership training to organize, and encourage the team. I really began to see that as you brought in leaders, And wanted them to serve that those leaders needed serving and so that was my role Uh, I took it upon myself to love them to encourage them to sort of be their cheerleader and so I would hold regular I think it was quarterly meetings to where I would try to help train them help educate them and just encourage them in the Word of God and in how God was using them number five I think it's very important to remain aware of all the details in each class. Uh, For most of those semesters I I did this program, I taught a class, but I knew that I had a responsibility as well, not just to know what was going on in my class, but because I was the leader of this uh, community Bible study, I needed to be aware of what was going on in all the other classes. So I would call the other leaders individually, I would check in with them, I would, you know, talk with people that were in the classes. So I was always trying to stay aware of uh, what was going on in all the different rooms in Bible studies. Um, And lastly, keep all of this under the authority of your own church leadership and pastor. Because, you know, I think it's inevitable that as you expand Bible studies and start offering uh, multiple studies with, you know, um, hundreds of women at a time, that you can, you know, come upon issues that you're really in a quandary to know how to deal with. And because that pastor and those elders, uh, you know, have already been placed in your life, they are a natural resource to then go to and say, listen, here's the situation. I'm not really sure, you know, how to perceive this or process it. What is your advice to me? And it's, that is just a wonderful comfort to have.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love it. The The first to um, use leaders that you already know and trust and as far as their doctrinal positions go and then use mature women in faith and character. And I think sometimes, you know, when, when women want to lead, anybody, when a man, when a woman, anybody wants to lead something and there is someone in charge of the program that doesn't feel like they're ready, sometimes that can cause a person to feel bad or to, you know, feel overlooked or something like that. Did you... Did you ever have a situation like that? And if so, how did you handle it? I did.
1: And one one of the ways that I tried to help train up new leaders is I would have co-leaders. So it wasn't just that I had one leader, but I had two leaders per class. That way, if, you know, the inevitable vacation or sickness popped up, there was always the other leader ready to step in and handle that week's responsibilities. So uh, for the main leader, it would be the mature women that I knew well, you know, from my church or other churches, and then co-leaders, I would pick some younger women and try to partner so that the older women could at the same time be training and pouring into as they discipled those younger leaders so that they could then become Bible study teachers and leaders.
0: Oh, that's cool. Gretchen, when you did it um, that way, did they each decide like how to divide it up or did the main leader always lead when she was there and then just pass it to the co-leader when she was going to be gone? Or how, how did that work?
1: Well, it depended upon the study itself and sort of the dynamics of that. It also depended upon who the people were, the leader and the co-leader. So, you know, some co-leaders were more ready to lead, you know, um, equally. Some weren't. So I just sort of had good communication with the leader and um, we came to an understanding on the role of the co-leader, you know, how great of a role they would have or, you know, more of a um, sort of a, just a discipleship type of role. So it really depended, you know, case to case.
0: It's one of the most beautifully, um, <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful ways to handle that that I've ever heard of. I just love it because, Um, It can really cause, especially a younger Christian can feel, you know, really sad if they don't get to help and they have this passion, this burning passion. You know, I mean, they qualify, maybe their doctrine's good and they've got the passion and they're growing and they bring in their friends and everything, but then, you know, they're not allowed to step into a leadership position. And this co-leadership idea is really a great way to do that.
1: And and I want to clarify, when I say young, I don't mean in age. Because there could be right, a right. sixty-year-old that's a more of a younger believer. Yeah. So, I mean, when so I was doing this program, I was in my early thirties. So, it you know, it just depends upon you know the maturity and faith. And and the beauty of bringing in those younger Christians, they have such excitement and enthusiasm. Right. You want that right. in your Bible studies. You want the other women attending to see the fire that Christ has lit in them. And so just by joining forces, the younger believers with the older believers, you know, people across denominations, I mean, in heaven, we're all going to be one family, you know, and we're not going to have right. all of these walls That's that right. we can tend to put up. And so as right. we come together, we learn from one another. There's strengths, there's weaknesses. You know, my strength can help fill in and help you in your weakness. And your strength can help me and my weakness. And so as we come together and see the differences, I don't, you know, my goal was that we wouldn't find fault with one another, but that we would just sort of help fill in the gap for one another and complete the body of Christ as we join force to all glorify his name by sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him and his Word.
0: Well, that, and then there's, there's the side of it, too, where the new believer, the newer believer is, um, or maybe the less experienced leader, is having the opportunity to sit under the leadership of someone who's more experienced or more mature and to learn from them. Now, I think of the example of, you know, before you learn to drive or before you are driving somewhere, you just ride along. And you don't really pay very close attention to where you're going if you're turning right or left or whatever. But then when you're in the driver's seat, all of a sudden – you're very much more aware of all the surroundings and all that. And I think this co-leader idea um, concept really brings that into play where the, the co-leader has the opportunity to really step it up a notch in their involvement with the study itself as well as with learning how to lead a study. So beautiful. One of the other ones, the number three one there, was um, you as women who are passionate and are being changed by the word of God themselves. I remember... One time a gal who was passing me the baton after she had led a program for a long time, she said, she said, you know, they're they're not going to remember too much of what you say, Marnie, but they're going to remember how much you love them. And that passion for God, that is really what comes through more than even your profound words or the poems you (laughs) write to communicate it. And all those are so important. But if you are not passionate about Jesus, um, then all the words really don't add up to too much.
1: Well, and that's the whole point of being in the word. You know, people are going to get tired of doing a Bible study just out of duty. But if you can educate them to, to, so that they know that the whole reason you're reading the word is to grow in your knowledge and understanding and therefore your intimacy with God himself, And how that is going to affect your love relationship, which then will bear fruit in your life with love and joy and peace. And that that is what motivates them. You know, the love of Christ compels us. And it's not just out of duty. So when you're pulling in for your leadership, women across denominations and different churches in your community and in your church that are on fire for God's word and for him then that is going to motivate people to follow hard after God for themselves because they see there is more to religion than just showing up on a Sunday. There is a vibrant relationship that is supposed to be happening, and that is an option for me, and I want that. And so that spurs people on to participate and to do what it takes to show up every week and do their homework because the more you commit to it, the more fruit you're going to receive from it.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. No, I just love it. So you actually, you actually have the hardest and scariest part of organizing a large Bible study. What is that? Childcare. <laughs> <laughs> it's child childcare. It is. Yeah. And you, know, you actually have a five-step formula for that because it, it is. It's really intimidating.
1: It is. I mean, when, when you're a woman trying to do uh, Bible studies and women's ministry, you know, the, the very other side of that coin of ministry is going to be dealing with what, the needs they have and they're going to have childcare needs. And so, you know, like my passion, God called me to be a Bible teacher. But yet, what I had to learn quickly was in order to walk out my calling and fulfill that, I had to get good at coming up with childcare and it's not something that I wanted to do, but I had to do it. I mean, it's it's just, it's part of the ministry. And so it can be so intimidating. It can be overwhelming. It can be frustrating. And I tell you, as I wrote in my Bible during those years, I was doing this program, you know, the hardest days usually dealt with childcare issues (laughs) So, um, but this, this is, these are some things that I learned, the five steps. Number one, pray. You've got to pray and pray and pray. And, you know, it reminds me of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, when he received a letter from uh, the Syrians threatening him and his kingdom, that they were just going to annihilate him. And so he took that letter. He went into the temple of the Lord and he laid that letter before the Lord. And that's what you've got to do with childcare. There were so many times I was on my knees with, you know, desperate for childcare workers or funds or whatever it might be. And I just had to lay that need before the Lord saying, Lord, you know, you have signed up all of these women to take these Bible studies, but yet I don't have the resources for childcare to take care of these women that are bringing their children. This is not my problem, Lord. This is yours. <laughs> this is, right. you have covenanted right. with me. You have called me to this, and this is part of it. And so I just would keep going back to the Lord and praying, like, this is your issue. You have got to, you know, come to our rescue and provide. And Marnie, he did. It may sometimes be at the very last hour, but, buddy, he did. And and I want to say that you've got to be willing to do what's outside the norm and, and, and call in some favors, that's for sure. Um, so number one is pray. Number two, determine the number and ages of the children. So as the women signed up, they signed up their children, so I knew exactly how many children I had to take care of and their ages. That way it allowed me to break them up into classes. Number three, I enlisted the community involvement to partner with for resources like personnel and curriculum. And and honestly, Marnie, it started first and foremost with my own family. Back at that time, I had my husband. He had a class. I asked my dad, who was retired, my mom, who was retired, my mother-in-law was in there, and my sister-in-law was in there. So if you don't think I didn't call in some favors and beg and plead, you know, I did whatever it took to get those rooms staffed. But other than, you know, even your own pers- you know, personal family and friends, um, I looked at Child Evangelism Fellowship. I don't know if everyone has heard of this organization, but here in Tallahassee, it's CEF, and they have um, summer Bible studies for children. And they also have the Good News Club, which will go into schools and provide an hour of um, children's ministry doing Bible lessons and crafts and things. So I called this organization to see during the summer times when we offered this program and we had school-age children coming, if they would help me with large group instruction, and they did. I also hmm. encourage people, you know, use a curriculum or whatever curriculum your church may use on a Wednesday night with children. But, you know, I thought it was important not just to have free time and play time for these kids, but to have a structured you know, Bible study time so that they would, you know, be learning as much as their moms were. So I used CEF, I used AWANA curriculum, uh, even Vacation mm-hmm. Bible School curriculum, oh, previous ones from years past is a great resource. I also tapped into the homeschooled high schoolers in our area that needed community service hours. They were a great resource for personnel. I called um, the, we have Florida State University here in Tallahassee as well as FAMU and TCC. And so I would call education departments to see if there were any college kids that wanted to teach. I would call navigator groups or Young Life or Campus Crusade for Christ on college campuses and even sororities, anybody that I could bring in. And of course, I interviewed them first. I didn't just let strangers come in. But I made sure that these were believers and that they understood the curriculum they were to teach. And so that was one of the ways that I enlisted community involvement to uh, get Mm -hmm. the personnel and the curriculum for this. Number four, Mm -hmm. I enlisted our own church body support. I went after the retired teachers, the empty nesters. Um, And if somebody couldn't commit to helping with childcare for a whole semester, I let them do it on a rotating basis. I said, if you'll do it for one month, I'll get someone else to do it another month. Or if you can do it Mm -hmm. one uh, Wednesday a month, I'll have someone else come do the three other Wednesdays. So I just, you know, nothing was too little or too big. You know, you just, you have to do what you have to do. And then my main goal in uh, organizing the childcare was to protect the young moms. I did not want any young mothers doing child care. Um, They were the ones that had the kids all the time anyway. They were the ones, you know, that had a more difficult time uh, getting into Bible study. So I just felt it was so important to tap into those of us in our community that, you know, we don't have uh, kids living at home anymore or, you know, we've retired or whatever. You know, let's pull our resources. And let's, as older women, give back to the younger women to help encourage them uh, because it's easier for us to, you know, get away for Bible study because we don't have kids. And we can do that at any time. And then lastly, mm-hmm. I thought it was important to balance the free play with the structured teaching time and craft time. To where it wasn't just putting a breathing, living body in a room full of three-year-olds for two hours. That there was a schedule. There was time for free play to get their energy out. There was time to teach a lesson. There was a craft to do. So it always kept the, the kids active and busy and changing what was happening. That way it helps the time go by faster, not only for the kids, but the child care worker. And, oh, I just praised and thanked these childcare people. You know, I, I would try to rotate them that if somebody helped me one semester, I didn't call upon them again the next semester. Um, but I remember, you know, one of my uh, best assets was actually my own mother. She was a retired teacher at the time, and she was such a support to me because not only did she help me every semester, she helped organize it. The bigger it got. And she was so willing to just stay back there with the kids, you know, week after week, semester after semester. Mm-hmm. And that was her service to not only me, but all of those other women and people in the community. And she still sees people out today. as She's at the grocery store that, you know, they remember her for keeping her their children so that they could go to Bible study. So if you can have some wonderful mm-hmm. people in your life, like, you know, my mom or, or others that, uh, you know, ch- they love children and, and that's their passion, then partner with them because they can be such an asset to you.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that's really a lot of great information here. And it does it does, you know, cause me at least to think a little bit more out of the box than I had in the past, you know calling a, a university's education department, or you know they, these are some really great ideas that maybe don't just come to the surface of your thoughts when you're working on it so like what was what was a large number of what was a number of volunteers that you had like for a semester? do you remember you know how many you had to, you had working with you?
1: I don't know that I remember how many workers I had, but I remember more the amount of children and women. And I, I remember, you know, you begin to think outside the box when you get desperate. And the first semester yeah. <laughs> we did this, we offered it over the summer. And, um, and so we put a sign up at the, in front of the church. And I remember saying to the pastor's wife, you know when we put this sign up that we've got to do this. Like, we can't change our minds. And she's like, I know, Gretchen, we're going to have to commit. And so we, we put this sign up, Marnie, and I would weekly check the sign up list, and it began to grow and grow. And I just began to get petrified over what we had committed ourselves to because that first summer we had 200 women sign up and 250 children. So oh, we oh, oh, oh. used that whole campus of my oh, church. Right. I mean, there were oh, kids st- and women stuck in all the rooms of our church. Just and and yeah. it was exciting. It was terrifying at right. times. But you know, you quickly have to look beyond you know the norms on you know staffing, right. Right. not just the leadership for the women, but for the children as well.
0: For sure, for sure. Well, you actually have some secrets to share with us about how to survive it. So, it kind of sounds, you know, really, you know, so terrible, but anybody who's ever done anything that is a stretch for you, you know what we're talking about here. It's not terrible. It's just when you're doing something you haven't done before. I mean, I remember when I started Girls Club in my home, and I'd have, you know, 12 12 to 15, uh, 11-year-olds, you know, in my kitchen making meals that had to go out and be edible that night for the people, the families in need that we were cooking for, and after they would go, I remember just being exhausted, like, like with a headache and exhausted. And finally, you know, after a season, I, I got past that intensity of it for myself. I got used to it. So it's not that right. starting something new is terrible, but it is new. And that generates feelings of anxiety and insecurity and, you know, just uh, so, so what are some secrets to help you survive starting a new big Bible study?
1: Well, I would say, number one, ferociously guard your own quiet time with the Lord, that if you begin to let the the driving needs of what God has called you to do, crowd out your own time with him, you're going to get into trouble quickly. So you've got to prioritize your own quiet time with the Lord, your own time in the word and prayer and in worship and that is one of the best things you can do for yourself secondly don't let ministry come first or interfere with your own relationship with the lord i can remember during my own prayer time you know that i would begin to just start praying for needs of the ministry and you know if if i wasn't careful the needs of the ministry would crowd in to my own relationship and so i really needed to draw boundary lines you know to separate the two thirdly staying on my knees that was so critical um you know praying for um you know my own sanctification and because as exciting as this was it was so sanctifying and god used it and and it can be difficult at times when god is stretching you But I'm telling you, if God is calling you to something that scares you, you need to say yes to it. Because there's Mm -hmm. going to be such fruit in your own life from saying yes, even when you're scared. He will be faithful. He will sustain you. He will equip you. He will bring people alongside you to help you. But you need to Mm -hmm. say yes and move forward. But by guarding your quiet time, uh, drawing the boundary lines, and staying on your knees, that's going to help you. Number four have a core group for spiritual and emotional support. You know, I had a handful of friends and family that, you know, if I got overwhelmed, I could call them, and they knew how to encourage me and pray for me and support me, and that was a huge difference. And then lastly, we have to be willing to pay the price for entering the spiritual battleground. And although I will say this was one of the most challenging seasons of my life, it was one of the very best seasons of my life because as much as it stretched me, Marnie, it grew me that much more. And there's you cannot get away that as God stretches you, he grows you in your faith and your understanding and your love for others. So as you're dealing with different people with different gifts from different churches or and just on a regular basis you grow in your love for them. You grow in your love for the Lord as you see God use them to reach other people that you yourself don't have the capacity to reach. It's just, it's a team effort. It's a kingdom effort. And it just so thrills your heart to see what God can do as we follow him and let him lead us, even sometimes when it's scary and overwhelming.
0: You know, I think as you're talking about um, stretching our faith, and that's what, you know, when, I've looked, when I look back at the things that God's called me to do that were so big, so scary, so, you know, like I, I'm, I'm listening to you here, you know, so your heart was to lead this large women's Bible study um, thing, and along with it came this humongous responsibility of child care. <laughs> you know, yes. and I think uh-huh. about you know I've in, I've interviewed so many authors, and their heart is to write a book and and to get it out there. And along with it comes this surprisingly huge responsibility of marketing that book. You know, and there's it, it seems like there's a lot of times this um, you know behind the scenes faith stretching component to what God calls us to do. That just is like, well, I you know. I'm not sure I want to do it if that comes with it. I didn't realize, you know, that that was right. part of it. Did you ever have that sensation where it's like, hey, you know, I, I think it was Jeremiah that says, you lied to me. You didn't tell me the truth about this, you know, to God. Right. You know, he's just so like, I didn't really sign up for this. Did you ever be, Did you ever find yourself in? But, but,
1: you know, who in the Bible did know what they were getting themselves into?
0: <laughs> I know, right? I mean, sure. nobody knew what they were getting
1: themselves into, so so this is the way it is, and now I'm telling you, you know, God knows there's a certain amount of ignorance as bliss, and that works in our favor. <laughs> he doesn't call us to look two, two days ahead. It's just today. You know, follow me step by step. It's like, you know, as he educated the Israelites with the man in the desert, you know, I've got just enough grace for you today. Don't be worrying about tomorrow. And the grace you're going to need for that, let's look at today. And, Marnie, as, I, as God stretched me during that time, and I would write in my Bible you know, some of the high points yeah. and some of the low points as I prayed out and cried out to God to help me you know, fulfill what he had called me to do, then years later, as we you know, came upon hard times as a family— don't you know that that meant something to me? As I looked in my Bible and I remembered back what God had done. And that mm-hmm. strengthened me all those years later. And so there is a purpose when God calls us to thrilling things and hard things. And, and we don't need to just say no and pull back because it gets difficult. But we need to be strong and firm and persevere because that's what God calls us to as believers. And, and we need to remember this is a spiritual battle. You know, this is not a walk in a park, but there is such, it's so much at stake, not only for our own reward in heaven one day, but for advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and to grow his kingdom. So it is a privilege to suffer for his name and to, and to be thrilled with the, the benefits of his name. And so I just can't encourage people enough. If God is calling you to this, then step out in faith. I did not know what I was doing when I did this. But little by little, one day at a time, as he brought people alongside me, you know, he equipped me to handle his calling.
0: Amen. Yeah, I I still think back to so many times where I've been in so far over my head. And, you know, and I really, God loves to have us there. He really does. That's a place of pure dependence. Either we can be mad or we can be dependent, one of the two in those, that situation. And you look back at those times, like you were saying, and they were some of the most faith-building times in your life. Yes. And they got, you know, they the faith that you learned in those situations because God came through for you is just so powerful later on when you have a big need and you're like, yeah, but, you know, you did this before and you did this before and you did that before. And so, therefore, I trust you to now take care of me in this even bigger than I've ever seen before situation, you know, or something exactly. completely new. Exactly. Yeah, and he is so faithful. You know, I've said through the years, you know, there's just nobody in the Bible I can't relate to at some point in my life or another. You know, whether it's, you know, you're being delayed or things aren't working out or, you know, the, like I think about Paul in, in the New Testament, you know, we are crushed. No, we are um, oppressed but not crushed. You know, we are um, confused but not not in despair. You know, all those things that he says there. And it's like we all go through this when we're in ministry and it's okay. Yes. Yeah. I want to go back to the first three of your um, secrets there. That's why this is so important, to guard your own quiet time with God. Don't let the ministry interfere with your relationship with God and then stay on your knees because in the end, it's really not about your performance. It's really about you being a conduit for what God wants to accomplish through your life. And if you block that flow, you're going to experience unnecessary pain. Does that make sense to you?
1: Oh, absolutely. You'll burn out. Like, I I Mm realized that, you know, whenever I let the ministry start crowding him out, um, then I began to get weary and burn out. But if I would really pay attention and prioritize him and draw the boundary lines, then I had more strength and, you know, just emotional, um, you know, forbearance to, to keep going and to minister. Because I think. What people need to realize when you're offering Bible studies, you're entering in into women's lives. You're not just, you know, putting something out for strangers to come to. So as you get to know women in your community who just need a listening ear or someone to pray with them, you know, you're going to start learning about problems and struggles of those around you. And at first it was a struggle for me because I'm the kind of person that if you tell me about your problem, I take it on. And what I began to see was I was taking on all of these problems onto myself. And I really had to learn how sort of like to be a man and compartmentalize (laughs) and just, you know, leave that area, you know, in a separate place and then have my relationship with the Lord and not, I mean, as I interceded on their behalf, I couldn't carry their burdens for them, you know, that that I could support them. and and direct them to the word. And and that's why it is so important in every generation and in this day and time to offer people the chance to study God's word because just the warfare against us, the the political correctness out there, the, the demonizing of Christians and what we believe in, it is so important that we stand firm in what God's word says and what it doesn't say. So you've got to offer these, people who are hurting, who need it, and also people who are in great places in their life. You know, there's all kinds of people out there that are going to come to these studies. Some are in, you know, easy places. You know, life is going well. Some are in hard places. But we can all come together and love and join together and just exalt Christ and enjoy the benefits of learning from his word and how what we're going through today is really the same things that, the, you know, people back in the word went through.
0: Hmm, for sure. Well, Gretchen, we're nearly at the end of our program today, and this has been such great stuff. When you look back over over doing these big Bible studies, what is there some, is there something that you wish you'd known before you started?
1: I think I wish I'd known the wonderful, loving community uh, around me, willing to partner and serve. When I first started, I didn't realize The resources that were around me. And uh, people were just wonderful to get involved and to step in and use their gifts for the benefit of offering these women, you know, meaty studies of the word. And so I just loved being with those people and felt so humbled that they would partner with me. And then, secondly, Mm -hmm. I wish I had known before I started some of the doctrinal differences that, you know, caught me (laughs) off guard a little bit. And so I think that just helps as you talk with your pastor, he can probably give you some insight on what to expect as you start opening up to people in your community. And then thirdly, how God was going to use it to sanctify me and teach me so much about my own faith Mm -hmm. and just in ministry in general, God used it in a great way in my life. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity.
0: Oh, love it, love it. Well, you guys can learn more about Gretchen over at com. Her name is Gretchen, G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N, Fleming, L-F-L-E-M-I-N-G, or at her website by the same name, com. Gretchen, if somebody goes over to your website, what are they going to find over there? Well,
1: they're going to find first my blog. I've been blogging through the Chronological Bible this year, and because I'm a Bible teacher, my blogs are more Bible lessons. So I love to write. And they're also going to find my speaking page. I love to to speak. I just finished a retreat in uh, Destin, Florida, on In Search of Joy, and had a wonderful response. So I would love to just you know have people check out my speaking page and or go on to WomenSpeakers.com and find me there. I'd love to come speak because I have a passion for God and His Word, and I've been studying the Bible for about 25 years now, and I want to help. Uh, edify the body of Christ as I glorify his name.
0: Hmm. And I think you have some Bible study stuff over there too, right?
1: I do. I have a Bible study that I've written. I've written probably about 12 to 14 studies in all, but one is on there called Fighting for Faith, Persevering Through Breaking Points. There are seven videos and teaching outlines and homework questions for each video. And so it's a great study that I taught just this past semester and I wrote it about a year ago just as we were coming through a difficult time of a struggle we had as a family for seven, for several years. And so I would encourage all to check that out.
0: Wow. Well, that's fantastic. And again, the website name is gretchenfleming.com, Gretchenfleming.com. And this is Marnie Fleming. You've been joining us at Marnie's friends today for our program. Gretchen, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Marnie. I'm so privileged.
0: Oh, and thank you all for being here. You can't have a show without listeners. And we appreciate all of you come live to the program as well as those of you who listen to the archives or to the syndicated show around the web. And a special big thanks to those of you who host the show on your sites by putting a Blog Talk Radio player box on your website. And if you haven't done that and you'd like to, you can just go to marniesfriends.com, link through over to the Blog Talk page, and then go ahead and capture that player box. It's free and it allows the messages to get out to more people. Also, I want to remind you that we do have another Bible Study Expo coming up. You can learn more about that at BibleStudyExpo.com. If you know of a great newly released women's Bible study book that we should be considering, be sure to submit that, along with the website address and the contact information of the author. And then also, if you would be interested in being a Bible Study Expo hostess, or blog partner, all of that information is also there at BibleStudyExpo.com. Well, once again, this is Marnie Feldrick. Thanks for joining us today at Marnie's Friends, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.